Fantastic. So uh, good morning. Uh, let me add my welcome to Andy's. Uh, my name's Charlie. I'm the other minister here and it's great to have you with us this morning. I wonder how you would like to be remembered. Um, a loving husband, a loving wife, a good father, a good mother, um, for having a good sense of humour, for your work in business, for your philanthropic work, for your faith, and for how you shared that faith with others. I wonder how you would like to be remembered. Um, not many of us will be remembered like this. This is the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls in Rome. Uh, yeah, not many of us are going to get a basilica to be remembered by. In fact, I doubt many of us will really be remembered 2,000 years after our death at all. But we remember St. Paul, and largely because of these letters that he wrote to the churches in Galatia, Thessalonica, Corinthians, Philippi, and to his friends, Timothy and Titus and Philemon. The Paul that I met as a child growing up in a Baptist church, I have to admit, was not a Paul I liked very much. He seemed to be a bit of a Puritan, really, full of moral piety. Um, Anti-women occasionally seemed to support slavery. In some places, anti-marriage, possibly even anti-sex. Uh, the author of Exclusion and Keeping a Very Exclusive Separatist Club going. At least that was the, my impression of Paul as a 17 or 18 year old. I think it probably says more about the church that I grew up in than anything else. But I have come, particularly over these last few weeks, but in over, over several years really, to, to understand that that's actually quite a mistake. And in many ways, Paul was trying to do the exact opposite. You see, all of us have a story that informs who we are, the choices we make and how we live in the world. Um, perhaps the most significant global event, or well, perhaps bar the current pandemic, but in, in recent decades was 9-11. Think of how that has shaped the context that we all live in at the moment. Or the technologies that inform how we communicate with one another and shape our day-to-day -day lives, or the culture and language that we're born into. All of us are born into a culture, a context. So to understand Paul, you have to understand his story. And really, that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been trying to do over these last few weeks, is to tell Paul's story to talk about the various religious contexts of his day, the geographical context, the political space, and Paul's personal circumstances. We followed him around this area of the known world, from Damascus over to Rome, and we have followed him through his life, from his birth, his conversion, his journeys, through his time in prison and how that shaped and changed him, through to his latter life. And last week, the end of his life in Rome. Uh, really, what we've been doing is we've been introducing you to an academic idea that's been kicking around in the universities since about 1977. It's known as the New Perspective on Paul. And it was kicked off by this book by E.P. Sanders, Paul and Palestinian Judaism. 
And really what it sought to do was to challenge a notion of Paul that was around at the time. To challenge this notion that Paul wanted to reject his Jewish heritage, to do away with it, that actually it understood him as more of a Greek man. Actually, the new perspective on Paul said no. Paul was trying to be thoroughly faithful to his tradition. He was a Jew through and through, a Pharisee. And he was, he was trying to look at his tradition and reinterpret it and reshape it around the person of Jesus. But he was not trying to reject it. He believed that the Jews were God's chosen people, that they were expecting their Messiah to come. He just believed that that Messiah had arrived in the person of Jesus. So it needed to reshape his world around that. They put Paul in his context, a Jewish first century man, a second temple Jew and a Pharisee. Uh, so often we make a mistake with Paul, I think, of taking his words out of that context. I love this T-shirt. I might get one. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Um, so often we can take a, a single verse of Paul's from one of his letters and use it to almost justify any argument. But actually, Paul's letters were written to specific people in specific times and in specific places, thinking that Paul's words are universally applicable to all people at all times and all places is a mistake. Um, James Dunn, one of those um, proponents of the new perspective on Paul, along with N.T. Wright and E.P. Sanders, said this, Paul would have been appalled that so many of his letters set in particular situations had been generalised 20 centuries later into one-size-fits-all universal advice. Paul's letters were written to specific churches, specific congregations in specific contexts, as you can see in quite different political situations around the known world. Each letter is a pastoral letter to a congregation that he knows, a situation that he understands, and he is writing to them. If I think back to a few years ago, I've served in, in two churches now. Bethel's is the second. The first church I served in was Holy Spirit Church, a small shopfront church in southeast London, a very different context to Bethel's. For example, uh, when I think back to our afternoon congregation at Holy Spirit Church, we were a group of about 25, 30 people who gathered around a meal and read the Bible together, except that over half of that group had some kind of learning difficulties or were completely illiterate. That's a very different context to Bessel's Green, where I know a lot of you read a lot, high chiefs. I could never recommend an E.P. Sanders book on the new perspective on Paul to that particular congregation. It wouldn't have made sense to them. Two different con contexts, and I, same message, but it required communicating in very different ways. In fact, if you'd taken some of my sermons then and some of my sermons now, you might argue that they seem contradictory. But actually, they were just about being appropriate to the context. Um, I loved this quote that came up in Tom Wright's book. He says in his book that he was reminded of the journalist Bernard Levin, Bernard Levin spoke about the composers who'd accompanied through him through his life. He says this, Beethoven first, 
for the boy who wanted to put a world to rights. Wagner next, for the man unable to put himself to rights. And Mozart last, as the shadows lengthen, to confirm the growing belief that there is a realm where everything is known and yet forgiven. I love that illustration of different styles of different classical music for stages during your life. And Tom Wright goes on to say this. For Paul, we might say there is Galatians for the young reformer eager to defend the gospel and attack the heretics. Then we have two Corinthians for the adult sadly aware that things are more complicated and disturbing than he thought. And lastly, Romans to remind us that despite everything, Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in King Jesus, our Lord. I love that idea. Different letters written in different contexts, applicable to perhaps different stages of our life. But of course, the challenge is not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Paul's big challenge was to try to teach his followers how to think. This is is how you should think amongst yourselves, he says, with the mind that you have because you belong to the Messiah, Jesus. Uh, Paul is a follower of Jesus, not the other way round. And he's trying to search for those kingdom values, those Jesus values that he can instill in in his churches, in the churches that he's setting up. He's talking, teaching them not what to think, but how to think, how to live with a renewed mind, the mind of Christ. Wright says this, he, that's Paul, realised early on that it was his job not just to teach people what to think and believe, but to teach them how. How to think clearly, scripturally, prayerfully, how to have the mind renewed and transformed so that believers could work out for themselves the thousand things he didn't have time to tell them. How to think with the Messiah's mind, especially as it was shaped around the story of the cross. Really, what I think he's talking about is what are the values What are Paul's values that he's trying to instill into his Jesus values, kingdom values that he's trying to instill into the churches he's setting up so that they'll know how to think and how to apply the love of God to the context and the situations that they find themselves in, that we find ourselves in. So what were Paul's underlying values that have come to light as we've followed and journeyed with him? Well, these are ones that jumped out at me. I want to say there may be others that have jumped out at you. These were five that occurred to me as I've studied uh, and journeyed with Wright over the last few weeks. The first is to say that Paul is thoroughly Christ-centred. From that moment of his conversion on the road to Damascus, that blinding conversion, his life is radically changed. And from that moment on, he would give every last ounce of his strength to sharing this message of the risen Christ with all. He's been overwhelmed by his encounter with God's grace, the utter exuberant self-giving love of the Messiah in Christ. 
And he's bound by it. He's transformed by it. He's captured by it. Everything he does is thoroughly Christ-centred. Secondly, and this is where the new perspective on Paul comes in, I, I think along with Wright and others that he was utterly faithful to his tradition. He looked back into his tradition and he saw Christ and the coming Messiah and the person of Jesus. And he is staying faithful to this tradition that he comes from. Now, certainly, he says in some places that circumcision isn't necessary for the Gentiles. He, he seems to go a bit soft on food laws in places. But that's simply because he saw those as signposts to a destination. And once you arrive at the destination, you no longer need the signposts. Imagine going to central London, standing outside Buckingham Palace and seeing a sign that says, London this way. It's entirely unnecessary because you've arrived at the destination. Paul interprets and understands that these were signposts pointing towards something in the future. And that future has arrived in the person of Jesus. So he is remaining entirely faithful to his tradition. Yet he is saying it now needs reimagining in the light of Jesus. Thirdly, and perhaps in in starkest contrast to the Paul I met when I was growing up, he is radically inclusive and welcoming. Um, Galatians 3, 28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all in Christ because of the faithfulness of Jesus, because of, Jesus, what it, because of what Jesus has done, we are all included. Salvation is what God does. He chooses us in Christ. And that is now extended out beyond the walls, beyond the boundaries and the boundary markers of the Judaism that he grew up in. We've met time and time again the battles he's fought to keep the Gentiles on board, to keep the Jews faithful, to keep them talking to one another. Paul is convinced that this message of Jesus is for all and all are welcome. Fourthly, the value of unity. He is utterly committed to this future that should contain both Jew and Gentile and hold them together in worship. It says this in Ephesians 4, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Um, Wright says in his book that sometimes he's been asked by people what he thinks Paul would be most disappointed with or surprised about if he encountered the contemporary church. And Wright's answer is how easily we have given up on unity. That Paul's message is striving to hold us together, diversity and unity. Finally, that we are to live out our faith in action, in good works, in serving the kingdom of God and the world around us. In our reading from today, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. 
or to put it another way, which is equally faithful to the Greek, we are God's poetry, God's artwork. When someone believes the gospel and discovers its life-transforming power, that person becomes a small but significant working model of that new creation. We are not merely beneficiaries, recipients of God's mercy. We are also agents, poems in which God is addressing his world. And as poems are designed to do, they break open existing ways of looking at things and spark the mind to imagine a different way to be human. That actually we are God's poetry in the world to live out a different way, to model a different way of living, a Christ-centred, grace-infused, welcoming vision of how to live in the world. Well, there you go, folks. At the end of our journey, these are the values that I, I think I've encountered. Would you add others? Are there ones you'd want to challenge? But the ones that I see as I've journeyed through Paul's life are his Christ-centred focus his faithfulness to the tradition while also recognising the need for it to reform and remain contemporary. That he's thoroughly inclusive and welcoming. Striving for unity in a way that is lived out and applied in the world. But also you'll discover when you read through Paul's letters that he barely gets through a few verses without mentioning grace. And that's because ultimately he recognises that it is nothing to do with us at the end of the day. We are given this life. We are given the gift of new life, the gifts of the kingdom by God's grace through what Jesus did and his faithfulness on the cross. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing it is the gift of God and it's not the result of works so that no one, not even Paul himself, can boast. Let's pray together, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the life and witness of Paul the Apostle. Thank you the gift of scholars like Sanders, Dunn and Wright who've helped to help us to enter into the history and context and understanding of the day. That we might encounter this fellow brother, this fellow Christian to reflect on the ways that he taught the churches that he was involved in. The way he taught them to think and to live in the world the Christ-centred values that are at the heart of his life and his ministry. And Lord, as we, 20 centuries later, seek to live out those values, help us to do so intelligently. Help us to have the mind of Christ. Help us to, to live out Christ-centred values, to live a Christ-shaped way in the world. Inspired by the life of Paul and those other first Christians. Lord God, may we be welcoming 
inclusive. May we strive towards unity. Help us to serve you and be your poetry in the world through the way that we live. But Lord, we thank you that it is by your grace that we are saved. Amen.